Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Happy Easter. Wow, full house today. I mean, we added 50 chairs and you guys still filled them all up. So praise God for that. So today is the day that we celebrate the fact that the tomb of Jesus is empty. Like he's not there. Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, go ahead. Let's get some applause for that. That's absolutely appropriate. And I do want to take a moment up front, just thank you for being here, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, whether you're a regular attender or this is your first time in church, we're so glad that you've joined us. And this morning, what I want to do, if it's okay with you, is I want to break all the Easter rules today. Is that okay with you? Okay, even if it's not, I'm still going to do it, all right? But uh, yeah, one of the standard policies they teach every pastor, every preacher in seminary, they tell you, hey, Easter Sunday, keep in mind, there are lots of people who don't normally come to church who come on Easter, and so you're going to have all these new people. So keep the message very basic, very simple. Like you should only use one verse and you should always be extremely positive. So simple, one verse, and positive. Okay, I'm going to break all the Easter rules today, okay? My goal is to be complex, go a little bit deep, use more than one passage, and quite frankly, to be a little negative, especially up front. But trust me, all right, we are going someplace and it'll be good in the end. But let me go ahead and get rolling right here. Let me start with a negative. If you didn't know... Whenever somebody says, bless your heart, that's not a positive thing. (laughs) It's actually really, really negative. (laughs) If someone says, bless your heart, what they're really saying is, you're an idiot, okay? (laughs) And I hate to give you negative Easter news, but that's just what it means, okay? For example, I heard a story about a guy, he works in this office with all these glass walls, And they keep him so, so clean that one day he didn't even know it, and he just walked briskly, just smack into the wall. I'm talking, he nailed it. He's got his hands cupped over his face. Blood is spurting out of his nose. And he said several individuals came by and patted him on the shoulder and said, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Just so you know means you're an idiot. You're an idiot. If you know me, you know that I am somewhat directionally challenged, okay? And that means somebody can give me a very basic, simple map, and I will find a way to get turned around. And I've always been that way. I can remember back in elementary school, I had a map, and this map was a direct map from the door to my classroom, okay? Should be easy to follow, right? And all of a sudden, I'm walking around. I don't know where I'm at. The bell's about to ring. You know, my heart's racing. I have no idea where the classroom's at, and and I'm kind of panicking. And finally, some adult authority figure, I don't know who she was, she saw that I was lost and freaking out a little bit. And so she came over to help me out, and it turns out the classroom was like right there, like right in front of me, okay? And do you want to guess what she said to me? Go ahead, everybody together. Bless your heart. (laughs) Sounds nice enough. You're an idiot. If you know me, you also know that I am mechanically challenged, Yeah, and that means anytime I get my hands into a fixer-upper project, I grab a power tool, usually I'm going to screw something up badly to the point where people who know me, my friends, they don't invite me out on work days. 
which in some ways works in my favor, okay? <laughs> but I assure you, I don't do it on purpose like a lot of husbands with their wives. I really do try, and I really do 90% of the time fail. And of that 90%, about half the time, somebody gets hurt, <laughs> usually me, all right? And I can sit up here, we don't have time, I can tell you all kinds of stories, but most of the man was some guy kicking me off the work site, or some woman coming over and saying, bless your heart, bless your heart. It's a cloaked way of saying, you're an idiot. So, with all that as a backdrop, I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and say to them, bless your heart, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Now go ahead and turn to the person on the other side of you, your second choice. Tell them, bless your heart too. You're an idiot too. Isn't this fun? <laughs> See, I told you I was going to be negative today. And in keeping with this negative theme, I'm on a roll here. Let me tell you about another idiot, okay? This guy's name was John. And John, he was born in 1725, and John was a complete mess. Like, he worked on a ship, and all of his shipmates hated him. True story, okay? He was a wild, raging drunk. He had a very violent temper as well. And John, he actually got the nickname, the Great Blasphemer. If you've ever heard the phrase, cuss like a sailor, <laughs> probably came from John. In fact, his captain once said of John, and I quote, not only did John use the worst language I have ever heard, this is the captain of the ship, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. Like John took it to a whole other level. One day, John, the great blasphemer, fell off the ship, and you would think his crewmates would have chucked him a life preserver or something. No, they chucked harpoons at him. That's what they did. I mean, he was so arrogant. He was so rebellious that finally his captain said, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. And so he had John, the great blasphemer, stripped naked and flogged him eight dozen times in front of 350 men. Well, John was so furious after that, he decided, I'm going to murder the captain, and then I'll just take my own life. That was his plan. But before he could execute the plan, this storm started brewing, and the ship was being tossed to and fro and slammed, and everybody said, oh man, we're dead. In fact, one of his buddies got blown off the ship, never to be seen again. And so John thinks, hey, my life is over. But in that moment, suddenly he found himself in his moment of greatest desperation, his greatest trial, his deepest fears. He actually cried out to God. Yeah, God, the God that John had blasphemed. He called out and said, Lord, have mercy on us all. Well, he survived that storm. And after he survived the brutal storm, he suddenly realized that, hey, in my moment of greatest desperation, I cried out to God. So maybe, just maybe, there's something there. And so this man named John Newton picked up a Bible and started to read. And he was transformed by the amazing grace of God. Years later, John put pen to paper. And in 1772, he wrote the lyrics of the classic hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. So when you sing that song, what I want you to do is I want you to feel the weight of the story of a man who was once known as the great blasphemer, but he was transformed by the amazing grace of God. And he wrote these words, amazing grace, 
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. So today, we're launching into this new series called Voices from the Past. And over the next three weeks, we're not going to simply sing some of the classic hymns. We're going to learn the stories and theology behind them. And this morning, we begin with this amazing song, Amazing Grace. And people, just so you know up front here, the grace of God is so absolutely unfathomable that it's hard for me to do justice to it in just one simple message. But to get a little help, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul, empowered by the Spirit, talks about God's grace. And I know I said I was going to be somewhat deep and complex today, but really, this breakdown of Ephesians 2 is pretty simple. I'm going to give you three major thoughts that summarize the message of Ephesians 2. And the first big theme the Apostle Paul shows us here is this. It's the theme of you were. He shows us what we were. I'd like everybody right now to say you were. Go ahead. You were. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are not now what you once were. Paul says you were. And then he shows us the theme of but God. Everybody say but God. Go ahead. But God. Okay, you were one thing, but God intervened. And then finally, he shows us how God intervened, and that's by his grace. Everybody say, by grace. By grace. So you were, but God, by grace. You were one thing, but you are no longer that thing if you're in Christ. Why? Because you had a but God moment, and it only happened by the grace of God. Not by your own power, not by your own good works, not by your own goodness. So let's start with the first part here. You were. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're not today what you once were. Now you're forgiven. Now you're a new creation, but you were dead in your sins. In verse 3, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Now, flesh is not our skin, okay? It's our old sin nature, our old nature apart from God. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Well, that doesn't sound like a real upbeat, positive Easter message, does it? Now, I'm just being gut level honest with you. If you are without Christ, you are dead in your sins. And the Bible actually teaches that you are deserving of wrath. You know, we've been called enemies of God because of this sin nature. And I know that is not a popular message. Like in our culture today, many people push back and say, no, no, no. You have no right to call me a sinner. I'm not a bad person. I got a good heart. Like, I'm not nearly as bad as everyone else. Well, you know, I said I was going to be negative today, so let me just get in your face and tell you right up front here, you are a bad person. Yeah, and so am I. See, 
by nature, we've inherited a sin nature. We've been born, and by nature, folks, we are imperfect sinners. You know why? Because we're the descendants of imperfect sinners, dating all the way back to Adam and Eve, who sinned in the beginning in the garden. So we've inherited a sin nature. By nature, we are not good. We are deserving of wrath. And some of you, I know you're not going to like this, but we're going to play a little game right now, okay? And I want everyone to join along. Even if you're here today, you say, I didn't want to be here in the first place, okay? You're already here, so just, just have some fun, okay? All right, everybody join along. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? A couple questions here. First question is this, how many of you have ever lied? Okay, raise your hand. If you've ever lied, white lie, black, okay, keep them up, keep them up. You gotta keep, you're gonna want your hands up in the air, trust me. If you've ever lied, raise your hands up in the air, keep them up, keep them up. Now, those of you with your hands in the air, I want you to look at anybody who does not have their hands up and say, you're a liar, liar, pants on fire. Right now, go ahead. Go ahead, you haven't said it in years, so it'll feel good. All right, you can put your hands down. Listen, we, we've all lied, okay? Just take psychology 101, okay? All of us, we've lied. All right, now this next question is kind of tough, all right? But I need you to be honest because we're in church. And like, <laughs> I don't want Easter Sunday lightning to strike. That wouldn't be pretty. So you got to be honest. How many of you have ever in your life, you know, consciously, unconsciously, whatever, you've ever stolen anything? Raise your hands if you've ever stolen. Raise them up. Keep them up. Okay, keep your hands up high. All right, I want to see. Okay, good. All right, you can put your hands down. Now, for those of you who did not raise your hand, what I want you to do this afternoon is I want you to go home and look at all the pens you have lying around your house. Uh-huh. Just ask yourself, did I really buy every single, just saying, okay, chances are you stole. I warned you that was going to be negative. Okay, third question. You don't have to raise your hands on this one. You know why? Because I, I don't want to cause fights on Easter. No marital problems on Easter Sunday, okay? If you want, you can nod your head, raise an eyebrow, give me a little pinky, but you don't have to do it. How many of you have ever lusted? Okay, gentlemen, <laughs> I already know your answer, okay? You really didn't have to raise your hand anyhow. But just so you know, in summary, let me tell you what Jesus had to say about lust. He says that anyone who's had a lustful thought toward a woman has already committed adultery with her. So if you've lied or if you've stolen or if you've lusted, what does that make you? Okay. Well, let me tell you what you are. You are a lying, thieving adulterer. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> Welcome to Hill Country Bible Church where we're here to help you feel good about yourself. <laughs> Bless your hearts. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, know, you know what's cool about this church? I'll tell you what's cool about this church. Folks, around here, we just come right out and admit it. It's one of our statements here. We come right out from the get-go and say, we are imperfect people. That's who we are. Now, why am I hammering this so hard? There's a reason. It's because acknowledging your guilt and your sin is the starting point of grace. Let me say that again. Acknowledging your own guilt and your own sin, that's the starting point for grace. Like, if you don't see your need for a Savior, if you don't see your sin, then how in the world will you see your need for a Savior? And the good news is Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He said that. 
He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. I came for sinners. He didn't come for people who think they've got it all together. He came for the sick. So if you want to sit back and think about how righteous you are, you can go ahead and polish your halo all day long, all right? Because Jesus came for broken, hurting, wounded, just messed up, rotten sinners. Like John Newton. Like me. Like you. He came to set sinners free, though. And that's why Paul says, you were. And then he says, and this is good news, but God. You were, but God. Now think about Paul. If you know anything about the apostle Paul, what did Paul do? You know, Paul might not have cussed like a sailor, but let me tell you what Paul did. Paul actually murdered Christians. That's right. The guy who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, before he was a follower of Jesus, he hated and killed Christians. And that is a big, big deal. If you compare what Paul did back then to what happens in our day, it would be like where evil people take Christians out to a beach by an ocean and have them kneel down in the sand and put some kind of towel over them, over their head, and say, deny Christ or die. If that individual didn't deny Jesus in that moment, they would take out a blade and and behead that follower of Jesus. Because that's exactly, exactly what Paul did, only the method was different. He would have people pick up stones. And they would throw rocks at the Christian until slowly in agony over hours, finally, the individual would breathe their last. Okay, that's the Apostle Paul. Yeah, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now imagine if you could sit down with Paul and he would tell you his story. He would say to you, you know, I was that guy who hated and murdered Christians. In fact, one day I was on my way to the high priest strategizing how I might rid the world of all these pesky Christians. And all of a sudden, this light, boom, came from the sky, and I went completely blind. And I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I said, who who are you, Lord? And in that moment, I realized it was Jesus. And then this voice sent me to a guy named Ananias, a guy who should have hated me and feared me. But instead of cursing me out, he loved me. He laid hands on me. He prayed for me. And when he did, Paul says something like scales fell from my eyes. I was blind, but then I could see. And by the grace of God, this man baptized me, prophesied into my life and told me, Paul, the one who had killed all these Christians, that God had a plan for me that he was calling me to go and deliver the message of the resurrection of Jesus. I once was dead. I was the worst of the worst, the chief of all filthy sinners, but God still loved me. But God, but God. People, you were, but God. That's actually exactly how Paul describes it. Look at this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God gave us life. And when did he do it? It says here, when he raised Christ from the dead. So what does this mean for us today? Well, for years in the Old Testament, the Jewish people annually would celebrate something called the Passover. 
Let me give you the origins of this. God was going to judge the people of Egypt for their persecution of his people, the Israelites. And he was going to do that by taking the life of every firstborn male child in the land. But there was a way to escape that judgment, to be delivered from the judgment of God. They were to take an innocent one-year-old male lamb, sacrifice that lamb, and then put the blood of the lamb on the top and sides of their doorposts. And if they did that, the angel of death would pass over that home because it had a temporary covering for sin, the blood of an innocent lamb. Well, fast forward to the New Testament. Who is Jesus? He is the lamb of God, slain for our sins. You know, imagine back in those days, taking that blood and sprinkling it, putting it on top of your doorpost, what would happen to some of the blood? Well, it would fall to the ground. So hundreds and hundreds of years before the death of Jesus, in the Old Testament, there's a picture of what happened on the cross, a foreshadowing of the blood that the Lamb of God would spill for our sins. And as he hung on that cross in brutal agony, being mocked by the people with a crown of thorns on his head, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And the Bible says he looked up to heaven and said to die," which means it is finished. I've done everything you sent me to do. So now, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. People, he gave his life for us because greater love has no one than this to die for their friends. And folks, in that moment on the cross, the Bible says the sky grew dark and the earth shook and crumbled, and the followers of Jesus wondered, what, what happens next? And for days, they were confused. They were perplexed. Day one, day two, day three. But then on Sunday morning, some women went to the tomb, found the stone, rolled away. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared and posed this question. Why? Why do you look for the living among the dead. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, he loved us so much that he forgave our sins and changed our lives when he raised Christ from the dead. And as we close this morning, I want to share with you a passage of scripture that totally transformed my life. It's my favorite passage in all of the Bible because it very clearly articulates how a person moves from you were to but God to by grace. Just listen to this simple passage from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. That word means a gift. It's by a gift that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. It's not by works, it's by grace. Not by works, by grace. Not by works, in case you didn't get it the first time or second time. <laughs> by grace. You were, but God, by grace. Not by religion, by grace. Not by human effort, by grace. Not by your own goodness, it's by grace. And what is grace? It's a free gift you don't deserve that God gives you. And folks, the stories 
Look in the New Testament. The stories from the life of Jesus, they're all about grace. One day, there was a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and she was brought to Jesus. And the law says to stone her. And all these religious, hypocritical men were saying, put her to death, put her to death, put her to death. What do you say, Jesus? And so interesting, because what Jesus did is he knelt down to the ground and he started writing in the sand. And nobody really knows what it is that Jesus wrote. Somebody first hour proposed that maybe he wrote, bless your hearts, okay? (laughs) Maybe. A lot of scholars think he may have written the sins of all the people that were gathered around ready to stone this woman. Regardless of what he wrote, one by one, the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they started to leave until no one was left. And Jesus looked this woman in the eyes, this broken, sinful woman, and said, ma'am, where are your accusers? And she looked up at Jesus with tears in her eyes and says, they're all gone. And so Jesus, by grace, said, then go your way. Go your way. You're forgiven. You're free. And by the way, you have a new life now, so go and sin no more. See, you were but God by grace. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he was crucified between two criminals, two thieves. One of them hurled insults at Jesus, said, hey, you saved others. Save us. Save yourself. But the other guy, knowing his guilt, said, hey, man, no. We deserve this. We're getting what we deserve. This guy is innocent. And Jesus looked over this man who, by the way, had no opportunity to do any good work. Like he couldn't go to church. He couldn't give an offering, couldn't be baptized, couldn't even help an old lady across the street. Okay? He could do no good work. And Jesus looked at him, this man who was completely guilty, and by grace said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Yeah. You were but God by grace. And I know many of you in this room right now, you were dead in your sins. You were broken, you were hurting, but you've been changed by the grace of God. And I also suspect that some of you here, you're not just here to check out an Easter service. You recognize there's something missing in your life, that you're desperate for something more. Let me tell you what that is. You're desperate for a but God moment. Because in one moment, with one step of faith, God can change everything. When you believe in the name of Jesus, in that very moment when you put your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are made right with God. Not by any good works, by his grace. And in that very moment, he gives you the free gift of eternal forever life with him in heaven. And he also gives you a new power to live your life today, his spirit working in and through you. And all of that comes free of charge. It's the gift of God by grace, by grace. So if you're longing for that grace of God, God is ready and willing to extend it to you. I'm telling you, it's one moment, one step of faith in one Savior Jesus, and all your sins will be washed away, and you will receive eternal life, because that's God's promise, and God cannot and does not lie, people. Pray with me.
Right now, I just want to take a moment for anybody here who may be thinking in their mind, I'm not sure. Maybe you're not sure if you were to die this afternoon, would, would I go to heaven? Would I be forgiven? Would I have eternal life? Before you walk out these doors today, you can be sure. Because it's one moment in the quietness of your heart, just between you and God, in your mind, you can acknowledge. And I would encourage you to do it right now. Just say, Jesus, I know I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough for a perfect and holy God. But I believe you lived the perfect life for me. And when you died on that cross, you died for my sins. And so I am putting my faith right now, not in my own goodness, not in anything else, but you and you alone, Jesus. I believe that you are the one, the only one, who can forgive me and give me eternal life. So my trust is in you, Jesus. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for your promise. God, for the rest of us here, I pray that the story of John Newton would remind us that we were all there. We are all imperfect, broken, rotten sinners, deserving of wrath. But God, but you, God, intervened. By grace, you came down, you offered us this forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray not only that we would be grateful for that and praise you for that this Easter Sunday, I pray that we would recognize that you've also given us the power of your Holy Spirit. We don't have to live in sin. We can go and sin no more. We will stumble. We will fall. But we have the power to overcome. And so help us to recognize that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to help us live a new life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to praise you, to worship you, to celebrate you this Easter Sunday. It's in Jesus' name we pray.